Good morning, church. <clears throat> Got to wait for those lights to go up, right? Uh, welcome to live stream, also Fellowship Centers. Good to see you guys over there. You know what else is great about summer, Billy? That you guys and all those who work in the children's ministry are able to enjoy our assemblies and be fed. And thank you. I'd like to thank all those that work in our children's ministry every Sunday. How about a round of applause for our children's ministry, WFR? I would uh, I would proclaim the best there. And uh, thank you, Billy and Lindy, for all the years and Cynthia and everybody else that works in our children's department. It's wonderful and a blessing. Uh, I wanted to mention we had this last week on our podcast. We had Dallas Jenkins, who created The Chosen, uh, on our podcast. And it was a fascinating conversation that we had with Dallas. First time, obviously, we'd gotten to meet him. And I realized I'd never mentioned here to the church uh, about this series. I don't know if uh, I'm sure some of you have been aware of it, but it's something you want to check out. Uh, I, we found it fascinating. Uh, it's really well done. And it just kind of brings the Bible to life and the people that were around Jesus. So if you hadn't checked out The Chosen, do that. For those under 50, there's an app that you can get and put on your phone. And they say it can be cast to television in some magical, mystical way. For those of over 50 like me, they have DVDs. So if... If you still got a DVD player hooked up to a TV somewhere, you can watch it. That's typically the way Lisa and I watch it. Uh, Erica Osborne, if you would come up. Ella, I'm sorry. Or Erica, your mom could do it too. I don't know. Now, Ella, it says here that you are doing some babysitting this summer. You got a bunch of bad kids, hellions. Yeah, she's keeping my grandkids. So, uh. But I got to tell you, so, so Miss Lisa told me something that I bet you do not know. When she was your age, she kept your dad. She babysit your dad, and now you're keeping our grandkids. Isn't that amazing? Three generations. And look how your dad turned out. So do a better job with my grandkids, okay? Well, Romans 4, 6 through 8 says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Thank you, Ella. Appreciate that. <clears throat> so last week, um, Mike did a great job of getting us a, a, an off-ramp on the road to destruction uh, to begin to bring us onto this road to righteousness as we kind of shift gears in the book of Romans. And I was reminded, uh, watching his, uh, his sermon last week, that, you know, we don't, as preachers, you, I mean, maybe some preachers do, but I don't like talking about the ravages of sin and the road to destruction and all the bad things that we see in our lives. I'd rather much more talk about grace and what God has done for us. But as I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, if we don't understand how bad our sin is, if we're not willing to face that, admit it, and offer that to Christ, we're not really going to understand how great grace really is. And so it's very important for us to do that and to understand the why and the how of Jesus coming to this earth, dying for our sins, being resurrected, going back to the right hand of the Father, where he still mediates for us every single day. He is our representative of perfection, waiting until the time is right, and he says he's going to come back. And we have to understand the why of that and understand that. I'll remind you, 
of Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. I apologize in advance, by the way. My voice is a little shaky this week. Had some sinus and allergy issues. Anybody else struggling this week with that? Yep, you. Uh, but we'll get through it. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's the why and the how. The word means good news, but remember, it's good news about whom? The person of Jesus. Never miss that. The gospel. Because it, that how and why of Jesus, is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, all, unified, as Billy talked about in communion. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So you see in Jesus, God reveals himself to us. That's that first form of righteousness we see in Jesus. Then that righteousness is by faith. It's what we believe, not what we do. It's who. And then the righteous will live by faith. It motivates us then as we live our lives to be more like him every single day. Now, Paul's going to use two illustrations to the Roman church in chapter four, which we're going to talk about today. But it's also for us all these years later, he's going to show us what it looks like to be righteous, to live by faith. And he's going to put some skin on it by giving us a couple of people that we can look at. Right. It's like the little kid who was afraid of the storm. And he goes in, he says, Dad, I'm so afraid. He says, I don't know why you're afraid, son. Your heavenly father is watching over you at all times. He's there with you. And he said, I know, but tonight I just need a father with some skin on it. Right. And sometimes we're like that. We need to see an illustration. So he's going to give us two in Romans chapter four. The first one uh, that Ella read to us was from David. He was the greatest king in all of Israel. And he quotes from Psalm 32, some of the great things that David realized, even being under law. Your sins can be forgiven. Your sins can be covered. Your sins cannot be counted against you. You think, man, that's pretty amazing. So what made David so righteous, so faithful? Was it the law? Nope. Was it because he was king? Of the chosen nation of Israel? Nope. Was it because of his great Jewish heritage and the fact he had done so many wondrous things for Israel? No. If you want to know what made David a righteous man, go and read Psalm 51. Then you'll see. I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. Surely I was sinful at birth, he says, hyperbolically. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I am a bad man, is what he told the Almighty. He recognized his sin. Not your sin. Not his sin. Not her sin. My sin. And then he said words like, create in me. Restore me, cleanse me, save me. That's righteousness. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. 
when Lisa and I speak out around the country, we call Psalm 51 truth vomit, which sounds really gross, but it's so needed. She and I both have experienced that in our life, where you had to take a hard look at yourself and say, against you and you only. That's recognizing and getting to the point of where righteousness is. But as long as you're trying to do it yourself, you'll never get there. Most of this chapter, however, is about the second person, and that is Abraham. So there's three themes that I want to stress this morning out of this text. And they're all fantastic, and there's so much stuff in here, you could do a whole series on it. And the first one comes from Romans 4.16. Paul said, therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Which, by the way, that's us. We are the children of Abraham. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham because he is the father of us all. The great unifier. His faith. Way back when. I mean, he's back, Genesis 12. Early. You see, the Jewish people thought, especially in the first century, that they sort of had an exclusive on Abraham. One of the great exchanges in all the Bible. We did it last year, but I want to do it again today. It's so powerful. It's from John chapter 8. Because in that exchange between these people who were Jews, and so was Jesus, who said that they believed Jesus was the Messiah, and then they had a conversation in John 8. It was evident they said they believed, but they really didn't. And let me share some of it with you. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. That's a great statement. And of course... Who is he talking about? You'll know me. And I'll set you free. So how did they come back to this great news? The Jews said, we are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves of anyone. Well, that's a big whopper right there. That's a big old lie. Four Pinocchios to the Jews. You know why? They were enslaved to Egypt. They were enslaved to Babylon. They were enslaved in their own country to Assyria. What are you talking about? How can you say that we shall be set free, they tell Jesus? Here's what I love about Jesus. Instead of giving them a history lesson, which he could have, he just goes straight for the heart. He says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Forget about the fact you just lied about your own history. You are a slave to sin. Because, especially because you're not willing to even recognize your own sin. In other words, if you don't believe in me, you have no chance. How do they respond? Abraham is our father, they say yet again, second time. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the things he did. Which is what? Believe in me. You are doing the same things that your father does. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What are you talking about, Willis? Who, 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 your father? 
We are not illegitimate children, they said. Try to give us another father. Jesus said, oh, you have a father. The devil is your daddy. He didn't say that. I added that part, but he did say, your father is the devil. Then you know what they came back with, this realization that they were a living lie? Are you greater than our father Abraham? That's the third time. Who do you think you are? Carpenter from Nazareth, where no good thing comes from. I thought they believed in Jesus. Jesus said, your father Abraham, okay, since you said it three times, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. In fact, he saw it hundreds of years back and was glad. You're no Abraham. He's beginning now the Jedi Jesus on these people. What is he talking about? You are not 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? I'm going to get the mic up for this one. I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Whoop! Mic dropped. And you know what's interesting? When he dropped the mic, they picked up the rocks. Ready to kill him. And they did later on. But only when he was ready and he allowed it to happen to save them in spite of their unbelief. They still got the opportunity. Isn't our God great? But see, it's not just them. It's easy to look at them and say, oh, these idiots. It's us. It's anybody that can't recognize my own sinfulness. You see... Jesus' point, as well as Paul's in Romans 4, is that when you think you can do it on your own, you believe the big lie that's been there from the very beginning. You can be like God. You can do it yourself. You can be in control. It's doable. That's a lie. You see, the Jews said, we are the chosen people of Israel. And Jesus and Paul said, well, Abraham was, he came to faith way before Israel. That won't work. But we have the law and we're making ourselves righteous when we keep it. Well, first of all, you can't keep it. But second of all, not going to work. Abraham's faith came before law. But we are circumcised. We've got the physical mark. And Abraham instituted circumcision. You're right, he did, Genesis 17. But he came to faith before that in Genesis 12 and 15. Won't work. It's not about your ability, your heritage, or your your thinking that somehow you're good enough. You're not. They weren't, we aren't. You see, God called Abraham at 75 years old. Had a good thing going. Living there with his family, had a compound thing going, kind of like what I'm doing. And God said, I want you to go to a place and I'll tell you about it when you get there. 
The neighbor said, okay, sounds good. So he gathered up his family, 75, Sarah, his wife is 65, they have no children. They said, you know what, let's travel. Let's see where God wants us to go. And this is the second thing we see that's powerful about Abraham in Romans 4, 17. Abraham believed in the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Wow. What a statement. You see, God promised in Genesis 15 an heir from Abraham's body that would produce as many offspring as the stars in the heavens. Look up. Woo. A lot of descendants. A lot of stars. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham was 86 years old and Sarah was 76 when he got the word. And he believed. A little time goes by. Sarah gets to look at herself and saying, you know, I just don't know that it's going to happen with me. And so she comes up with a plan. I've got a maidservant here. Technically, she belongs to me. So she had children. If you marry her, she has children. Then it would be like my child. And it would be from your body, just as you were told. So Genesis 16 tells us about the plan. Abraham, being a man, says, I can go with that. Sounds good to me. And it happens. And she gets pregnant. And she has a son. And they name him Ishmael. And now, of course, we fulfilled what God told us we should do. So for 13 years, life rocks on. Abraham's now 99. Sarah's 89. We got the 13-year-old son by way of Hagar. And the angel of the Lord shows back up and says, up and says uh, by this time next year, remember that son we talked about? You and Sarah are going to have a son. What? Abraham said, if only Ishmael could live under your blessing. We've done it, Lord. I've got the son. He's here. He's ready. He's circumcised. Let's roll. And God said, nope. Because that would be from you. But this promise is from me. And you see the point? Sarah, she laughed. <laughs> 89. Yeah, this, this ought to be good. Until a year later, here she is pregnant, having a son at 90 named Isaac. Abraham is 100 years old. And now there's the heir. I love Sarah's spirit about it. In Genesis 21, after he was born, she said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears this will laugh with me. I mean, we can laugh about it now. And then she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Well, nobody except God. Because it was his plan. Because he calls things that are not as though they were. Because he is the God of all things possible. But with man, it's impossible, Lord. But with God, all things are possible. Do you believe that? 
The Hebrew writer would put it this way in Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because he, Abraham or she, considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man who was as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And that would be us. Children of the promise. It was never about Abraham. But it was about him being credited with righteousness because he believed in the impossible. And God made it possible. Powerful. Well, I saved the best one for last. The third theme and the one that I love the most. You see in verse 18 of Romans 4. Abraham, against all hope, in hope, believed. Just think about that for a minute. Let that just settle. It's hopeless. There's no way. And yet, in hope, somehow, he believed. This comes from the last test for the father of the faithful, the one who believes and all things are possible. Genesis 22 and verse 2. God said, take your son. Now, you've got to be specific, as we know with Abraham and Sarah, because they'll have to plan. Your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Is that specific enough? The one I told you that all the heirs would come through, all of the stars in the sky, sand on the seashore, that son, you take him, and you go to the region of Moriah, And you sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. I want you to kill him. Scholars have tried to say, oh, this wasn't really that kind of stuff. No, he said, I want you to kill him. I bet he didn't tell Sarah he was going. Maybe he did. Do you realize that when this happened... This was almost 40 years after that initial call in Genesis chapter 12. Sometimes we say, you know, God, I just, I want you to, I'm just asking for direction and I'm asking for where you want me to go and, and how you want me to be. And, and then in four minutes we're like, God, why haven't you revealed anything to me? This was 40 years to get to this point. Transformation can't be speeded up, folks. We have to trust in the Almighty. He grows us. So in verse 3, early the next morning, and this is why Abraham is the father of faithful. After being told this, you know what he did? He got up and he saddled the donkey. That ought to be the bumper sticker on all our cars. I got up and saddled my donkey this morning. Meaning that whatever God wants me to do, that's what we're going to do. In verse 5, he said to the two servants with him, he said, I want you to stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. And they didn't know what that meant, but Abraham did. We will worship. And we will come back. I mean, they're thinking, oh, they'll go over, sing a few songs around a campfire and come back. 
Here's what the Hebrew writer said in verse chapter 11, verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. No wonder he was so at ease. No wonder this moment was so powerful. He thought, I'm going to go over. I'm going to sacrifice my son. And then God's just going to raise him back up because God's already told me what's going to happen. That's faith. That's against all hope. That makes no earthly sense. But that's where we have to be if we want to trust in the impossible God. What he says will work. And then I have to figure out what he meant by that. Abraham did. And in a manner of speaking, the Hebrew writer says, he did receive Isaac back from death. You see, he didn't almost sacrifice him. He did it. Verse 9, Genesis 22, he built the altar, uh, the altar. he arranged the wood on it, because he's going to kill him and burn him up. That's what they do in a sacrifice. He lays out Isaac on the wood, his teenage son, he binds him down, he gets out the knife, and he's about to kill his son. But in his mind, he's already done it. He's all in. He's not waiting for the red phone to ring. Although it does. Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. You say, whoo, you read that passage, he almost sacrificed it. No, he did. God just decided he didn't want Isaac to die. But he sacrificed And this was a great picture for all of history to see that our God, in the moment where we needed him the most, he sacrificed his son for us. The knife went down. And he was resurrected. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. That's it. I love when Paul Stevens does his testimony. And he talks about the night. In the middle of the night, he's praying to God because they found out Jake had diabetes. And he's worried. And he's like, oh, God, what are we going to do? And he wrestles. And he's like, I just don't know. What are we going to do? And then in a moment of clarity, he goes in and kneels at the bed. First to Jake. Then Zach. Then Kim. And he gives them all to the Lord. You see, God wants all those things we cherish to be given to him. But he also wants all the things that we hate, that we crave, that we get embittered by. He wants our hurts. Here, here God, I, I, can't, I can't do anything with this. Ah, I've been waiting for you to give it to me. Especially those things you fear. Because remember, Satan operates on fear. It's his fuel. As long as he can keep you in fear, he keeps you away from faith. Oh, Lord, what am I going to do? Give it to me. Don't hold back. Aren't you tired of holding it? Isn't it heavy? 
I think about Isaac laying on top of that wood, looking up at his daddy. Maybe he was crying. Maybe he asked him, Daddy, what are you doing? Maybe he just lay there silently because he trusted Abraham. How are we to give up everything and to not hold it any longer? That which we cherish, that which we hate. So I guess my question as we close to you today is what would I need to be like Abraham? Because if he is the father of the faithful, I want to be like that guy. He wasn't perfect. You read the whole thing, 12 to 22, he made a lot of mistakes. More importantly, what what can I do to be more like Christ? Because Paul told the Corinthians that follow me as I follow the example of Christ. How do I do that? Well, first thing you've got to do is you've got to believe in his ability to make you righteous. You've got to believe that. Because if you're still trying to do it on your own, then you don't really believe that he can do it. It's like not being able to give up that hurt or something in your life. That really says, God, I just don't believe that I can give it to you. That's the first step. You've got to believe that. He's big enough. He can handle it. And then he will make you righteous because he is righteous. You got to be born again, but this time imperishable, released from the fear of sin and death. Satan cannot do anything to me if I put my trust in Jesus. In a pandemic, people said, oh, what are you going to do? The coronavirus. I'm not afraid. I've got to die of something. But I'm not afraid of that. we got a vaccine. I'm not going to take it. That's fine. Are you afraid of it? No. Because my faith is in God. He's made me righteous. What if the vaccine kills you in 10 years? Then I'll be with him in heaven. That you got to live your life. Knowing that he's big enough to take anything, whatever it is. I do not want to live cowering in fear on this earth. I am a righteous son of the almighty God. I am indestructible because of him. Oh, you sound perfect. Far from it. In my imperfection and weakness, he is made perfect. You got to give him everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. All of it. Laid at the foot of the cross. You've got to follow him to a place that he'll show you when you get there. Yeah, but I don't know. I need a map. i got to. I know. It's hard to go to a place where you don't know how to get there. Especially with GPS now so readily available, right? My brother-in-law, he has to do the GPS to get to my house. He's been there 40 times. Come on, Tony. Act like you've been there. You've got to be willing to go to a place that he'll show you when you get there. Transformation. He makes you righteous, but then he may be working on you for 40 days, 40 months, or 40 years. 
to get you where he needs you to be. So trust him. I don't know what you need to give up today, if anything. But if you do, we're a community and a family here. And we pull for one another. I met a dear sister this week who's visiting here today from, but she's one of our sisters, or one of our live stream family members, came to us from Springfield, Missouri. So good to hear her share her heart, what this church has meant to her. It's a reminder that we are the forever family of God. Therefore, we bear the burdens of each other. So if you have a burden today, we want you to just to get that burden out of the way. Let's give it to God. We'll surround you. We'll pray for you. We'll help you in that walk. You don't have to do this alone. Today's the day to give it to God. If you have a need at all, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing.